Hello everybody, my name is Chet Czar, in case you didn't know, and this is the Dark Art Society Podcast. Today is episode 150, my interview with my old friend Nathan Cartwright. Nathan is a great artist and an even greater person. Really good, positive energy guy. And um, I had a great time talking to him. Super fun. Talking about old times because we started together and sort of came up together in the in the art scene and both went on to both do our own kind of things. And um, anyway, great conversation with Nathan. Great, great, great guy. I really value his friendship. So it was just a great friend. Anyway, I might be kind of lagging tonight because I am so tired. I want to go to sleep so bad right now. It's only 8.30 p.m. Tuesday night. I'm behind on the podcast. And uh, so I'm recording. I'm being a good soldier and finishing this up right now and posting it tonight so that all you Patreon people... We'll get your podcast, not quite a day early, but at least a little bit early. If you're up tonight, I should have it done in a couple hours. Eight, nine, should be up by 10 p.m., 9.30 p.m., something like that. Um, Yeah. So anyway, I'm just wiped out, zonked. I got up early today and just been working hard, the usual, you know. I'm really trying to catch up on everything, but boy, oh boy, it doesn't seem to be working. This year, it's going to be it. Um, okay, let's get on with things. So, I am, what am I doing? I've been spaced out lately. I've just been working too hard, I think. Um uh, finished a commission. I'm, I'm, I have so many of these commissions and things to do that I'm trying, I'm just kind of like grabbing one and trying to, to complete it and then jumping onto another and trying to complete it. And, uh, so it's been a little bit, um, crazy making, but I am getting things done. I got this one commission for a friend's book project. Uh, Gary Diocampo and Micheline Pitt. Uh, it's like a movie project called Grummy that was kickstarted, and there was a book component. Um, and the book is called a, a. It's it's artists interpreting the theme of a, a, a girl and her monster, which is the theme of the of the short film she's making. I think it's a short film. Um, anyway, so that, you know, that was time sensitive. So I had to finish that thing and I was way late on it. So I finished it. It came out really good. Used my granddaughter as a model for that. I posted it on my Patreon. I'm pretty, oh, did I? Yeah, I did. I'm pretty happy with it. So I did that. Um, I got to finish my conjoined sculpture. It's only two weeks to go. We really... uh, kind of dropped the ball and could join this year I guess um, Gary and I both being really busy so we 
forgot to send. We just kept putting it off, putting it off, um, sending out invites. So, and I ended ended up, we ended up kind of getting a smaller group of artists this year, and mostly local people, just because it was so put off to the last minute. Um, we're trying to make things a little easier on ourselves. So if you've been in before and you didn't get an invite, that's why we kind of fucked up. So I apologize for that. Anyway, that's happening. So I have to get a sculpture done. I have to get something done for that. And, uh, I have to cast up a new big conjoined heart, which I do every year. Uh, you do a different finish, like a different color scheme or something. I don't know what I'm going to do. But it's less than two weeks, right? It's, it opens on the 22nd. Yeah. It's one less. God, a week and a half. I don't know. I'm crazy. Okay. Anyway, let's get this over with so I can get back to work. <laughs> okay. First, I'm going to read the new patrons, the new Patreon subscribers. And I'm not sure where I left off, so I'm going to start with Buddy Nestor. You know him, you love him, Buddy Nestor. He's an artist and an art collector and a funny guy. Okay, thank you, Buddy. Appreciate that. Uh, Ashley, thank you, Ashley. Okay, Zaki Sati Art. Thank you, Zaki Sati Art. Michael Cunliffe and Joey Black. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the Dark Art Society Patreon, where you get your podcast a day early, or at least maybe not 24 hours early, but usually the day before. Sometimes even earlier, though, so it all balances out. Um, You also get entry to the secret Facebook group, which we are trying to migrate to the website. Josh G built this amazing website and so far it hasn't been used that much, but it's so good. So we have to, I'm going to have to do some promotion for that to try and get people to go onto the dark art society website, darkartsociety.com because you get membership there. And, um, I think I'm going to do like an art giveaway or something, something good to get people on there. Um, so, but you know, one of many things that needs to be done. Okay. Anyway, thank you, new new patrons. You are making the podcast happen. I absolutely wouldn't be doing this podcast if that if that money wasn't coming in. There's no way. So you are making it happen if you're subscribing to the Patreon, so that everyone else gets to hear it for free. You are the heroes. All right. Um, okay. Five questions. Five questions. This week, I solicited solicited the five questions from my personal Instagram page. So uh, they may be... Normally, I get them from um, Facebook. So maybe they'll be a, a little bit different. Okay, I'm just going to go down the list here. Wendy... Okay, at Wendy Olson Art. O-L-S-E-N. My question would be... Is there value to an artist in having a website these days with social media being so prevalent? I've so far had such mixed reactions to this. Well, I have to agree with Josh G from the um, Instagram episode he did 
I used to know what that was, but now I can't remember. Um, maybe I could look it up and not have it sound weird. Um, uh, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, he did a great episode. Okay, I'm going to find it. He did a great episode. I interviewed him. He, he talked about basically how to um, deal with the algorithm on Instagram. And it's, I think, the most listened to podcast episode we've done. Now I just need to find it. I'm scrolling down. I'm about to hit it. It's going to happen really soon here. And then I'm once I hit, ah, here we go. Episode 110, Josh G. Listen to that one if you want to know how to uh, market your artwork on social media, particularly Instagram. But he makes the point that, remember MySpace? Remember how everybody was on MySpace? And then all of a sudden, nobody was on MySpace? And it was kind of like losing your website all of a sudden, in a way, if that's where you were conducting all your business. So yes, it's important to have a home-based website because these social media companies will change. Anything could happen nowadays. Facebook could go down and, um, you know, there's, they, they're losing people all the time on Facebook. Uh, me being one of them, I haven't been on social media nearly as much as I used to be because I can't deal with it anymore. Just too much drama, too much negativity, too much obnoxious opinions about every goddamn thing. And politics are, they're just, they're, it's, it's all maddening. So I haven't been on there. I, and I know, I know a lot of people that have dropped off. But my point is that you should always have a home base. This is what Josh G talks about. I totally agree with him. So yes, definitely have a, a, a website. Um, let me see here. Um, the art of Tony V at the art of Tony V two part question. Sorry. I saw you recently had a booth at a tattoo show. Do you find these types of shows to be the best place to showcase your work? If not, what types of art shows have you found to be the best place to show to showcase dark art. Good question. I find that uh, tattoo shows are good for dark art, really. Um, that are kind of, you know, poor conventions, Monster Palooza type places. They do well there, but it really, I found it's, you know, you have to have your, your name has to be recognizable for people, for you to really do well, I think. I mean, that's been my case. Uh, the more well-known I've been, the better I've sold. <clears throat> so, uh, and I'm well-known in the tattoo community, so that's a good fit for me. But also they, you know, the tattoo community is totally into dark art. So the thing about tattoo conventions are I've found that uh, many of my buyers are tattoo artists themselves. So if it's a slow show for whatever reason, and they're not making a lot of money, then I don't sell as much. If they have a good show and they're making a lot of money, then they come by the booth and they usually buy something. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess 
I, I think tattoo uh, shows are a great place to show dark art. And it's a, if you want a, a sympathetic and accepting audience, tattoo shows are the way to go. Okay. Here's another convention question. At Chicken Wing. Selling at conventions, some do's, don'ts, and how to prepare. Uh, uh, be friendly. Talk to people. I like to set my booth up to where it's open so people come in. As opposed to having a table that cuts you off from all, all the art that's hanging up on the wall behind me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably not as talkative as I should be, but it's important to engage people and, um, you know, engage with them and talk about the artwork and be friendly and don't be standoffish and don't be on your phone and not paying attention. I, I, I think that, um, those are some good pointers. Uh, how to prepare, uh, have a wide range of options for you know price points have a wide range of price points like you know from five dollar items up to five hundred dollar items and everything in between i make probably most of my money i don't know last last tattoo convention i did i kind of sold a little bit of everything but um always good to hit you know the more price points you have the the better you'll do i think because you can kind of cater to everyone's financial uh, disposition. Is that the right word for that? Financial ability. So, okay. Um, yeah. And I don't know, have all your, have as far as preparation, have all your prices down, written on a list so you don't have to think about it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't do this as often as I should, but it's uh, taking a, an inventory is good because if you know how much you sold, then you can figure out, you know, you can add it all up and figure out, you know, how much you actually made after booth costs and stuff. Okay, so that was three, I believe. Oops, sorry. Um... Mm-hmm. Okay. At Eva Boniva. What was your biggest struggles as an as an artist? And when you look back on that struggle now, what advice would you give yourself? Hmm. There's been so many struggles, but I would say the number one struggle has been uh money making enough money. I think that's that's the main struggle for every artist. What would I tell myself now? Mm, stick with it. I don't know. I'm try I'm still trying to learn how to uh, better make more money. It's it's an ongoing process. I guess one thing <clears throat> No, I already knew that. I was going to say I something I would some advice I would give to other artists is uh, uh, that are struggling with money is don't 
have that poverty mindset. Don't ha- don't fall into that trap, that cliche of artists are poor, artists are broke. Um, you know, money's bad. Money's evil. Money's the root of all evil. No, fuck that shit. The world need, needs more wealthy artists. I mean, you know, we need to be the rich people. Just think of what we could do if we had all the money instead of the assholes in the ruling class. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Okay. Last movie you worked on. The last movie I worked on. Oh, that's from Demier at Demierge83. Okay, this is number four, right? Last movie I worked on was called Bliss by director, directed by Joe Bagos. Bagos? Bagos? Uh, it's a crazy, psychedelic, evil, drug, sex, vampire movie. It's pretty amazing. All shot on 16mm. And I uh, painted the centerpiece painting for, for it. The movie's basically about this woman who um, an artist who's painting throughout the whole uh, movie she's painting this painting and I, I made the painting so it was a really cool experience um, definitely you should check it out it's a really cool movie and um, it's called Bliss and you can get the Blu-ray on Amazon and I think it's going to be on or if it's not already it's going to be on Shutter, the subscription service so check it out oh and a bunch of other uh the the main characters uh studios all filled with a bunch of my artwork on the walls and stuff so it's pretty cool and i think i got a title credit which is my first okay Hmm. Mm -hmm. okay at dreams of ego do you feel that the designation of dark art applies more to individual pieces of work or to the artists themselves interesting question i've never considered um wow let's see so i guess it would be more um to the the individual pieces of work because you know an artist can do something outside of that genre that i could i've painted things that aren't dark art that that don't fall under that uh stephen king has written non-horror stories so by the way that's whenever uh people talk about you know dark art can never be that popular or you can never make money at dark art i just say stephen king and clive barker i rest my case especially Stephen King. I mean, Stephen King is, you know, a superstar, big time mega dude. And, and, and he's done it with horror. So there is a, there's a desire for it. There's a place for it in the world. Okay. Um, last bit of chit chat here is, uh, well, we're trying to get the the documentary that Mike Carell made about me called Chet Czar, I Like to Paint Monsters. We're trying to get that onto Netflix with a campaign, a recommendation campaign. So if you look in the SoundCloud 
description where I've posted this podcast, uh, there's a link and it will tell you how you can recommend Chet Zar like to paint monsters and get it, help get it on, um, Netflix. It's, it's like netflix.com slash en slash title request or something. If you also, if you just Google, you know, title request Netflix, it'll come up. Um, yeah. So if you could do that, it would be really cool because we want to get this thing out, out, out to people. Yeah. It's, it's help.netflix.com slash en slash title request one word but um, it's under that netflix help center if you could do that i would appreciate it if everybody did that that listened to the podcast it would probably get on there i imagine and and it's not you know this isn't about making money this is about just getting it on netflix because you can't really make money with uh, documentaries we've discovered (laughs) all right Let's get on with this interview. It's a really, really good one. My good buddy, Nathan Cartwright. Here goes, starting now. Okay, the conversation's so good, I just had to start recording. All right, what's up, Nathan? Hey, how you doing? Good. I'm I'm looking at Nathan. He's with Bacon, and Bacon is a is he a is it a pity, or is they it like called America bully? It's, that's the same thing though. Uh, that's what they call pitbull. Yeah, Pitbull's not even a real thing, really. I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's like staff yeah. staffies or Staffordshire bull terriers or bully so, breeds. I, I guess twenty four years ago they kind of created this new weird conglomeration of a staffy and bulldogs oh really they uh there's different sizes and he's uh oh he's so cute oh my god i want to they created a muscle muscle dog (laughs) just lays around ever since he was five months old i'm gonna take a picture of him hang out yeah he's like oh my god he's just so cute i'll post him on patreon I wanna... He has an Instagram. Uh, really? Bacon... Yeah, Bacon Bits Man. <laughs> bacon Bits and, Man. Uh, he does like to dress up. He wears top hats. You know, he had a little photo shoot with some luchadors for. Uh... Oh my god! Yeah, uh, pit bulls are so, or these bully breeds are so tolerant. They'll let you do anything to them. Right. It did, and does does he do this like? When you go, well, I don't know if you let him sleep. I, I'm assuming you, maybe you let him sleep with you because he's. I do, man. He's broken me. Okay, so. Don't let him start out sleeping with me, but he's allowed to jump into bed like when I'm in my deep REM. He can come on in. Okay, because uh, every one of our pit bulls, they always end up sleeping with us and they won't move. They will not <laughs> fucking move. Like other dogs, you push them and they get out of the way. They don't want to be, bo- they, you know, it annoys them and they get up. The, all the pits we've had, this is da, uh, Tatsu, Baby Girl, um, Doc. It's like they won't get up. They'll just lay there. It's so annoying, but it's just like they can't be bothered. <laughs> the ears are way bigger, too. Man. That's like 100 pounds. Like Bacon 
bacon's 50 pounds. Yours are like 100. You oh, can't. bacon's only 50? He looks bigger than that. Only 50 pounds. Yeah, I think baby. Like, yeah, you, you and my brother uh, both, you know, guys, you guys inspired me to get something short haired. <laughs> I like the. My brother's pit bull was sleeping with me in Columbus. I'd go home and. They're the best, man. Yeah. They're the sweetest dogs ever. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, all about the owner, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I see you haven't got his nuts cut yet. I uh, still got the nuts. <laughs> you gotta um, get them nuts cut. Yeah, yeah. He uh, still got the family jewels. <laughs> We're gonna freeze, uh, freeze some, some juice. <laughs> Are you really? In case. Yeah, man. I you just, can do that. Yeah, there's a place in between huh? here in San Diego. It's a, it's a cryo <laughs> sperm bank. I don't want to know how they get it. <laughs> Okay, dude. So <laughs> I called them up. They sent me the PDF, and on the PDF, uh, one of the, the things you need to bring down is a teaser bitch. <laughs> so I'm like, what? <laughs> this is a teaser bitch. So you need a dog. You need to provide, or they can provide a teaser bitch for thirty five dollars or something like that. Wow. And they basically put a female dog in front of the male, and then they. Wow. Tracks. Yeah. Like a sperm bank, you know? They give you the yeah. magazines. All that'd, be a, that'd be a good band name. Teaser Bitch. Teaser Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. We are, we've already learned so much. And yes. Just, you know, the first... Degress or regress. Four, four minutes of the podcast is like uh, full of knowledge. Nathan <laughs> dropping knowledge. All right. So anyway, for those of you who don't know Nathan Cartwright... He is one of my oldest friends in the art scene. We go way back. We started at the same time, I believe, back when we were nobodies. And we have risen to dominate the art world. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But no, no. We both started off. Okay. Nathan's a sculptor and a painter because he paints his sculptures, really. Um, you don't do a lot of 2D sc- paintings, though, do you? No, not for a while. You're mostly a sculptor, I mean, primarily, but but you paint your sculptures. Yeah, sculpting flat, a little bit more flat. Yeah, it's like bas-relief sculptures you do. They're kind of like painting sculptures in a weird way, a lot of them. Sort of. Yeah. But, um, and, and they're awesome. Very different. Doesn't look like anybody else's work. Very unique. Very you. Um, so, okay. We started like around the same time. Do you remember what year that was? Roughly. The hive is since 2005. So we were doing our thing in like 2002. Oh my God. That is crazy. So 18 years. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember we okay. We started out. I think we met each other through Cannibal Flower, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you were living in the loading dock at Cannibal Flower, amongst the rats. 
That's what I remember. Yeah, it, was, uh, it was a space called Hangar 1018. Oh, Hangar 1018. Okay, I'm sorry. And it was a warehouse, and I was actually the first featured artist in that space with Cannibal Flower. Oh. Cannibal Flower had their first show in that space. Cannibal Flower had been going on for well before then. Yeah, and but, Cannibal Flower would jump. It didn't have like a primary location. And then this space became our very primary location for several years. Right. Every month, a new show. And, um, yeah, so I was living in that. After I'd shown there as a featured artist, I uh, was kind of jumping around and then uh, settled in that space in the loading dock. <laughs> the loading dock. Uh, with a, uh, I would, my, my wall was a pull-up gate, uh, and that street, Santa Fe's a truck route. So, uh, and across the street was the playpen strip club. Oh. <laughs> All my trucks would just shrattle that gate. Oh, man. And we had had donated a wall. It was literally a wall of this nasty Indian beer. We had boxes of this Indian. I don't even remember what it was called. It was, it was nasty. I mean, I like Indian beer. I like, like Taj Mahal and all that stuff. But this was some weird beer that they were just giving away. <laughs> and so my back wall was the gate. A pull-up gate and a wall of beer. <laughs> of cheap beer. <laughs> cheap, nasty beer that no one would drink. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. God, I mean, if you think about it, that that's like uh, that's the art life in a nutshell, right there, man. You do whatever you do, whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes. You're willing to live in a loading dock. I mean, uh, yeah, that that. You so you lived there and what did you help kind of with the events there? Yeah, so uh, Lance and I would put on Lance and our crew. Yeah, what Lance was just town actually. What was uh, his last name? Lance uh, Sanders. Yeah, Lance. I remember him. It was a band If and he and there was a, so we had a music studio. So there was a lot of the best underground. Music, Ninja Academy, and Woven, and all these bands were really based in there as well. Recording studio was next to the loading dock, <laughs> so I had my station, and then next door was the recording studio, and then the big, big, big warehouse space. Um, yeah, uh, Lance and I and the rest of the Hangar guys, we put on shows, monthly shows as well. Uh, yeah, at the Hangar, they were like Hangar, there was... Cannibal, they would rent out to other places, then they would have, yeah. a, and then you guys would have your own events also. Yep, Cannibal Flower was there every month. Uh, the hangar would do some kind of show, and that was where I'd paint the big props out of foam and stuff like that. We do some, and we did the Max, which was like a live painting show, and Chet Czar was there. <laughs> painting has some good photos of that. Oh my God! Yes, I mean it's funny because I just I. I'm only I'm remembering this stuff for the first time, just you talking about it. Cause it was, it's it's been like a, you know, the whole art life thing has been kind of. Uh, you just I just personally I just jumped in and I never really looked back because it was like I didn't know what I was doing, and I just kept trying to figure out what the fuck to do, where to go, how to keep this thing afloat. And it was just, you know, I'm sure it's the same way for you, right? And you just kind of like, you go with it, and 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 then you all of a sudden you're, you know, in, in wherever you're at at whatever point, and you're just going, wow, that yeah. was that was crazy. The 
vortex. It's like, I mean, <laughs> once you're in it and it's kind of working, you're just in it full force. There's no, you know, there's no backing out. I have to reflect being a gallery owner because I, you know, I like to, I, I, I am really connected to my past and my family. You know, right. Like, but, but it just it does suck you in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's what's you, you you're in such a unique position. Um uh, I mean I wanna I wanna get there's there's many facets of you I wanna get to, but um before we get into your your art career and your personal work, you also are you are the owner of the Hive Gallery. You started the Hive, right? Yeah. And that's kind of crazy. I mean the model you have, the the the, the gallery model you have is so unusual. It's really different. I mean, at least from galleries I've experienced, it's really a different scene. It's really unique amongst all the gallery scenes, I think. Wouldn't you say so? I, yeah, I think so. I, You know, I didn't start a gallery to be starting a gallery, though. I mean, I was an artist. Right. I worked with other artists, and the hangar was already a great model of artists working together. And I, I really love being around artists and working with artists, and I loved that environment. Mm -hmm. Being around creative people, music people, art people, so it was more of a natural thing. I mean, I, I was already putting on shows and loved showing the art. So um, for me to be able to survive, it made sense to have studios and and everything. I mean, I. I don't have an inheritance or anything like that. I had to figure out how to do this on my own. And you don't have a trust. You don't have a tr you don't have a trust fund, don't we? I do not. Man. I do not. <laughs> That's such a weird thing hearing about trust funds. Like some people, I've heard them talk about it. Like, like everybody's got a trust fund. It's like I don't know anybody that has a trust fund. That's like a Gosh. different world. <laughs> it would be so. I think maybe in LA. LA is a very lucky city. There's a lot of very, you know. A lot of wealthy people want to, to migrate here and be here. So it's just but weird. As well, it's crazy artists and actors and people that that's true don't have it for here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mix, you meet a lot more people like that here than you would in where I was like Columbus, Ohio. I mean, I'm sure they're there for sure, but it's a lot more regular out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot more people crammed into a small smaller space, also in a way too all types, different types of people. Um, but okay. So what is it that makes your gallery? I don't know. Your gallery different. You have a gallery and then you've got artist spaces within the gallery. So people rent little, little studios in the gallery. And then you have like your art shows are like crazy parties where people are like throwing cake around and running around and <laughs> weird, weird bands and shit. All kinds of, you always have the <laughs> I just the last, probably the probably the last show I went to. I just remember there was cake. I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but there was like cake all over the floor, and people oh. were just running around like insane. <laughs> so it might not be like that now. No, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the cake orgies. The cake orgies are not as. I've focused a little bit more on the art part. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> over time, I realized that I am a businessman same time and i realized that maybe some of the stuff that was going on might not be completely legal once uh once downtown became more popular uh i was just very gently told 
that, yeah, well, you know, those probably you're going to have to pay a huge fine if you're doing that, that, and that. And so I had to be more realistic on what I do. Right. I don't have the crazy cake orgies as much. (laughs) I can do that for private parties. (laughs) So, you know, when we had all the music and the DJs and everything, we have, because we have a, um, okay, well, let's start with the question. First of all, when you come into the gallery, there's um, two large gallery rooms that change every month. Um, the second room of that is more of like what we call the slum wall, and I bring in local artists and artists that are just beginning from around the world. Right. And so that's kind of the life of like that monthly thing that happens every month is that there's always new art, there's featured artists, there's up to five featured artists. So that's the front two. Right. And you start getting into all the nooks and crannies of the actual hive, which are all these. Uh, studios and artists run their business out of my space. They have their own walls. They have their own studios. I have some guys that have been with me for the entire time, almost 15 years. Like, uh, wow. A coup. Uh, Patrick Cameraline is very, does very well with his work. And, uh, Greg Gold is another guy that's been with me for quite a long time. Oh, cool. So those spaces go all the way to the back. And, uh, and then, we have an upstairs area that's working studios. Okay. Um, and when, it, when, it, when we started, all of the downstairs studios were working studios, and then upstairs was just my studio. But yeah, now, what does that mean? A working? You know, what, what are the, the? Yeah. What are the lower studios then? If they're not working studios, those are, are like dis- ex- Yeah, those are exhibition studios. Oh, okay. So okay. They used to be work studios, like when you were there, right? Orgy days. Those were actual <laughs> working studios, but. People started selling, um, and people that I've been showing for years before the hive were starting to come in. And it, it, there was just a really quick transition of those studios becoming exhibition studios, not work studios. Right, right. I mean, I'd love for people to be working down there, but it's just we're we're a we're a legit gallery. We're open, you know, Wednesday through Saturday, one six. We have openings. We have the downtown art walk. We have all these different. Events. Yeah, yeah, you're very. Oh, well, they get a lot of value in just being seen. So most of them don't work downstairs. So do they work? They work upstairs. They work at home. Oh, okay. wherever they work, or if they have another studio, and then we have upstairs work studios where they don't generally have studios downstairs, and I have about ten, nine to ten artists up there. Oh my god, <laughs> the place is packed. It's got to be packed. That's yeah, probably forty studio artists including the exhibitions amazing so that's cool so it's like you've got the you know two big gallery rooms and then a bunch of like kind of mini galleries of of yeah. artists that's that's amazing it's like uh it's, it's a hive mm-hmm. and you're the king I, I love the discovery aspect of uh of anything i mean my art is about discovery opening up doors and things like that mm-hmm. i love and being able to interact to kind of look around a corner go to a place in the high where they haven't been and they discover something yeah idea down there is this interactive work studio art honeycomb yeah yeah it's a hive it's the perfect name actually you've you know another cool thing too is that you've shown uh some you've like debuted some major artists at your place haven't you i mean i know you've shown 
uh, Audrey Kawasaki, I think you were the per- first person to show her, and she's kind of mega now. Yeah, she's a lot of... Well, you know, all that started at the hangar, even before the high. So, mm. I mean, just because just that, that was such an important time for this art scene. Right. All the artists that were just crossing through from all different angles. And um, high just kind of rolled in right as that was happening. So, um, yeah, many, many artists have started out with me or shown with me and I've at least had them up on the walls. You know? you're, you're, you're the kingmaker. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. If you think I, mean, it, I, I don't try, I just I show what I like. Yeah, so right. Like, it's not like, <laughs> oh, this, this artist is going to be famous. <laughs> I, I do it because I love the work. I can see that the person has high skill, has a voice. And uh, so there's, there's a lot of art happening. Audrey Kawasaki. What was the first one you said? Uh, Nathan Spore was showing. Oh yeah, yeah. And, um, so many, so many artists in that time that were building up. Yeah, awesome. it's so weird to think. Luke you know, Joe Ledbutter, that whole scene. Oh like, yeah. It was yeah. kind of funny. I mean, they, they all started there. Anyone from Southern California. You know, they were all kind of in the hangar, right? Uh, rolling out of the hive, and then you know, bigger galleries were picking them up pretty quickly. Yeah, that's what I was. I wanted to bring up is that do you? Re- I remember how it was so exciting that time. I really felt like it was like uh, I don't know the heyday of any scene, like the punk scene or, or whatever. You know, whatever scene that ended up being this big deal. I remember being. Cause it, this, it's like being in this grassroots underground thing that, you know, people didn't really know about other than artists and people that went to art shows, but it was big, man. It was like yeah. e- every weekend. Huge, huge shows. I mean, huge turnouts, lines out the door. Right. Like, little flower anniversary shows. There was always like a huge line to get in. And these were big spaces. I mean, the hangar was 6,000 square feet. <laughs> And the high was only 3,000, and it was packed. I remember being super packed for those shows. Like yeah. a Chet Zar show, a cop row. You know? <laughs> 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 down the, the Bergamot Station, like, man. It was just so much fun because, you know, everybody was, everyone was just starting out pretty much, you know? Like, Luke Chu was another one that was, yeah. every, like, everybody. Like you were saying, everybody that's, you know, showing now and has established himself started back then and it was just man it was just exciting i just i don't even socialize like that anymore like i used to back in the day because it's like you know it was every every weekend you'd go to an art show and you'd be beating people and it was super scrappy and bring your artwork the night before and the show is the next day and then sunday coming back and pick it up or it's gonna get thrown into storage and you may never see it again (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> but you were so because you came in and you'd been doing the special effects. You came in pretty well. I, I don't. It wasn't like you came in as a businessman, but you were way more mature. because you already were doing. You were already making a living as an artist, and then you came in. But it was like your pieces were more kind of 
narrative. Like they were almost like dreamscapes when you first came in. Right. And uh, you were doing some close-ups on face parts, but yeah, that um, was my early stuff. You were just learning. Yeah, you were was... just soaking it up like a sponge. Like, totally. How do I do this art thing outside of makeup effects? And yeah, it, focused. It was my it was my lifeboat because at that point I was like, I got to get out of effects. I just had to get <laughs> out, and so. I was just, I had made this decision. I'm determined to get out of this. And, you know, it's hard to get leave a job that's paying well, that you've totally established in, um, easy to get work in and stuff. So it was, I, I had to I had to make it uh, work. And so, yeah, I took it very seriously. And plus I was like, you know, let me see. I, I, I must have been 35 or something by then. So I was already like, you know, had kids and a house and everything. So it was like, you know, I kind of came into it having already been through the ringer and <laughs> made all my dumb mistakes that you do when you're a young person. Yeah, and, and at some point in time there, right in the beginning around 2005 was when you, they became more, it's like, cause you got to, they became more portrait. Yeah, style. totally. It was 2005 is when I did that first cone headed ball dude. And oh. that, so, and that was at the hangar. I sold that. I think at the hangar, um, I think Gary bought it. I remember it. And I then, remember it. And then the next show I did two, I was like, Oh, that sold. So I did two more like that. And then those sold like in five minutes or something on the next show there. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to do monster portraits now. <laughs> <laughs> it was genius though because you already were a master at just texturing and and you know makeup. So it was like you got to use that skill set, but yeah. then also bring out your abstract mind, your dreamscape, and characters. Like it was like it's like all about narrowing down. Because when when you start out, you're it's so big. Like I can do anything. I yeah. don't know what to do. And exactly. It's really and you could go for decades. Yeah. Confused. I mean, not confused, but exploring. Yeah, right. And you, you just like really quickly like figured out. Well, if you think everything you want with that, and... it took me. Like I start, I made the decision in two thousand. I remember it was two thousand because I was working on Planet of the Apes. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do fine art. <laughs> Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> and then I did that, uh, that soft spot sculpture. Remember that one? I think oh. I. That. Oh, cool. Oh, great. thank you. And then I did that. And then I was like, okay, that took like a year or something to doing it on weekends and molding and casting. <laughs> and it was just like, no way can I make this, make a living at this. So then I switched to painting probably in 2001, 2002. And it really took me, you know, it was about three years of just, you know, doing versions, not non-portrait stuff, basically more like, know. you know, very Mark Ryden influence, but still kind of monstery and, you know, I was trying to figure, yeah, like you were saying, close-ups of like eyes and weird stuff like that. Until oh. I, and then it was like I just that the the portrait thing was just one of the things I stumbled upon in my experimentations. And then I the response was so good, I was like, okay, I'm gonna just keep going with that because it was just as fun as the other stuff I was doing. You know, so, so uh, that's what cracked the egg was when you write in that 2000 time. Yeah, you know, you got to explore. The Chet's our dream nightmare dreamscape. Yeah. And then you, it's like you kind of like dissolve and then you come back together. That's the right. <laughs> together. 
Yep. Way stronger, more focused. Yeah. Yep. And I painted your portrait at that time too. Remember that? Oh my god! <laughs> yes, uh, Monica and Brian purchased that piece. I, I, I'm so pissed I didn't buy that one. You should have bought it. That was a scary piece, man. That was. <laughs> it was called Nathan Extra Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Very eyeball. Yeah, that was that was very eyeballs, like kind of like uh, Jacob's Ladder a little bit, but. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. They talk about that. I, they're still good friends of mine, and you know they, they collect some of my work, and you know, collect, they're collectors. And uh, we still got Nathan extra crazy <laughs> <laughs> looking at us every day. <laughs> That's so funny, man. Those were the days. Well, so okay. How I want to I want to know how you wound up. How did you basically your your journey from you know coming out to LA to where you are now basically? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so tell me that story. How did well, you wind I, up in the in the loading dock at the hangar? And you know that was like the first place you wound up, right? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, well a little bit more than that, but, uh, okay. but yeah, it was a pretty pretty wild journey. Um, so I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. Um, I had come out west to do some, I did this AmeriCorps thing, Clinton back in the day made this AmeriCorps thing where you work for 10 months doing projects, like I taught English as a second language and work with autistic people in Salt Lake City. We did, I did a bunch of projects out here. I love the West, West Coast. So oh. did that, lived out here a little bit. And Wait, then I went so back. where are you from though to start? You're from Columbus, Ohio. Columbus. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I've wanted to do art therapy. I, I, I love working with people with interesting minds. You uh-huh. know I mean? Uh, I, I really enjoyed working with like autistic people and stuff like that. And yeah. I like working with art, maybe people with schizophrenia or whatever, and kind of just helping them through the process, through the, the process but through art. So I, uh, I'd applied to go to Art Institute Chicago, got, got accepted. I had a bunch of grants and stuff to go there. But I was sitting in the bathtub one day reading one of my favorites, Joseph Campbell. And, uh, you know, his whole thing, I mean, it's a simple quote, but it's follow your bliss. Yeah, see. And, um, <laughs> I'm always talking about that. Reading, and uh, I was like, I mean, I love the idea that I got the scholarship and all that, but my bliss is making art, making what I make. Right. Oh, and I'm, I'm a camper, I'm into hiking and stuff. So, I, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go do the master's thing. I'm going to go into the forests nope. across the country. You, st- you, you, got, you got all the grants and you didn't go? I did not go. Wow. Uh, I decided to be an artist. <laughs> wow, that's cool. That's kind of what I did, so, too. Yeah. So, I just uh, decided what I was going to do. Because I had a van, I was going to camp in the National Forest and make art and try to sell my art in big cities across the country. <laughs> I had no I idea. No I had no idea. That's and crazy, man. That's cool. Off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were pissed because I think, you know, part of their plan was like, yeah, get your master's, you know. And I, I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to camp. <laughs> Camp for make art, so I was just you know, my parents want the best for their kids, and I, I understand that. that oh, yeah, but anyway, so uh, yeah, I went and uh, started doing that, and 
uh, the Bighorn Wilderness. I saw a mountain lion and had all this stuff happen. And in the middle of nowhere, uh, came out of uh, a national park or a national forest, called my brother on September 11th, 2001, from a truck stop. And my parents were pissed at me at the time, so I called my brother just to find out what's going on, you know, how are things, you know, how's mom and dad. And he's like, dude, you don't know what happened? The Pentagon just got hit. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm literally out of my mind. I've been alone for, you know, a couple of months, you know. Wow. Painting. And uh, yeah, he says, that I didn't know what the Twin Towers were. That wasn't like a common term back then, but the, when the Pentagon got hit, I was like blown away. And he's like, and the Twin Towers right. went down. I'm like, what the hell? So uh, all that happened. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And uh, where were you during this? I was actually that was, I'd come out of the Bighorn Wilderness of the Dakotas, and I was kind of going into like Wyoming. What were you driving? Uh, a minivan. So I stripped <laughs> everything down, and I was living. I had everything I needed to survive. That's oven, amazing, you know, man. That. That's amazing. I can't believe that. that. First person I turned to was this dude at the truck stop. I'm like, dude, the Pentagon just got hit. And this guy, uh, he's like, oh, really? And then his wife comes out. He tells his wife, the Pentagon has been hit in the Twin Towers. And the woman looks at me. And she says, have you taken the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior? <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? What is what is going on? I'm like, I'm already out of my mind. I mean, I was in an altered state because I've been alone. Right. Going through the process, and then these crazy people, they, they drive away back of their van and said that Jesus Christ sun chasers. <laughs> the first people I told about 9-11 were these crazy fundamentalists. Wow. <laughs> oh, anyways, that kind of grounded me a little bit, and that made me kind of want to get into like places I knew. So I started oh. uh, working... I just I have to ask before you get into it. Okay, I, you just have to take me through what your life was like for those couple of months. You were just parked in a for, like in in uh, like uh, state parks where they let you park or something, and then you would take your stuff out into the forest and paint. Yeah, so uh, like we pay for a national forest with our tax, whatever you pay, right. you know. Right. So. As you get further out, the Midwest, it's a little rough in the East Coast. It's just too populated. But as you start going west over the over the Great Divide, there's a lot of national forests. And it's generally it's generally free. Right. Parking on the national Not in, in, in L.A., we have to pay for forest pass, like a day pass. Right. Yeah, you, uh, you can go into the forest and you can camp for as long as you want. Um, you just have to move a certain amount of feet every two weeks. Right. <clears throat> Oh, settled in, and I actually was doing, I was doing some commissions, and I had sold some stuff already in Chicago, and I had a show in Indiana. I kind of planned shows. Huh, interesting. That's so I unusual. Some... I've never heard of anybody doing that before, traveling around and staying in forests, and then pe- you're working outdoors the whole time to create your work? Easy because I, I already loved camping, and I loved the wilderness out here, and when I came out here for AmeriCorps, I'd had a little taste of it and had some pretty interesting experiences. So I already knew that that was a peak. I, I already peaked on that experience. I already knew that that was like where you want to be. I'm all about. I just want to make art. So right. I wanted to be. So 
that was a great way to not have a job and survive and make art and just try to make it work and see how things come through. I'd saved a look like maybe a couple thousand dollars. And, um, That's amazing. So I had that pulled it and just kind of did it. But okay, you can go so on. So yeah, I just I can't. <laughs> I mean, it was very emotional. Like a you know, you like I went through major uh, you know emotions. I cry, you know. I'd, I'd have elation. You know, when you're alone like that, it's uh, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm alone all the time now. I, I I work for days of being you know alone in my right talking to people. I have to turn off the stations, but but first starting out, I'm young, probably in my 20s or whatever. So it was pretty wild, you know. Yeah, great experience. Crazy. And, okay. I just had to. I, I just had to. I, I. That's a trip. So interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. So anyway. So I came out of the forest after nine eleven. I reconnected with the family, you know, and just kind of um, started staying. Uh, stayed with some friends. I was staying with this guy Anthony Weaver down in San Diego. He let me work in his garage. It was a it was like house with a bunch of guys, um, and I was creator and uh that was so cool he let me work there and stuff and then i had an ex-girlfriend that lived up in west hollywood so i started coming up visiting her hanging out and i asked her where's the art scene here i can't find the art out and i was in west hollywood it was like i couldn't understand west hollywood there was nowhere to walk to all there was was tower records i lived right up above tower records right that's a weird area yeah and i had no money so i was like i'm not gonna go there's nothing to do. I could right. But she said, why don't you walk down Melrose? There's a bunch of cool artsy stuff on that street. So I walked down Melrose and I go into this place called Galaxy Gallery. It was a head shop, all bomb pipes and stuff. And I had a bunch of art. I had a portfolio, like a little portfolio. And I go and I talk to this guy and uh, he loved my work. He's like, dude, I want to give you a show. Wow. And I'm like, Cool man, that's that's amazing. I get an art show, and uh, and he, and he asked, "Where are you from?" He asked me where I'm from, and I said, "Oh, I'm from uh, Columbus, Ohio." And he's like, "I'm from Columbus," and I'm like, "You're from Columbus? Where are you in Columbus?" And I say, uh, "Gehenna." It's like a which means hell in the Bible, by the way. But I'm from <laughs> Gehenna. Uh, he's like, "Dude, I'm from Gehenna." No way. I'm like you're from fucking Gehenna. And I asked, I played soccer. I said, did you play soccer? He says, no, I, or he said, he said, no, I didn't, but my little brother, the co-owner of the store did. It turns out I played soccer for one year when I went to the school for one year in the suburb that I moved to my freshman year in high school with his brother. That was a co-owner of the store. That was so, what? And I'd already been accepted for the show and stuff, but the, oh, the co-owner, that was Anthony Cross was a guy I played soccer with. Yeah. Right. Just randomly. So, there you, my first show. There's the follow your bliss thing. Doors, it, doors will I open mean, when you're doing the thing, when you're doing your true will. Right, right. And I mean, again, you know, you're just kind of crazy when you're being, you're, when we do the artist thing and you're in it, you're in it, you know, but it's nice to be able to reflect on it. You yeah. Know, I, I of that. That's, that's so cool, you know, how, how stuff opens up like that. So, yeah, we ended up having the show, um, a bunch of big pieces up. And, and it's kind of funny because this lifestyle followed me into the hangar, which then kind of went into the high for a little bit. But my friends brought up their band, 
San Diego. We had fan playing, a bunch of stuff. I'm doing the gallery thing in Los Angeles. I have some wine, probably in a mix of you know. And someone whips out a gun in the show, and I hear pop, pop, pop. A gun. No and My way. first show in LA. I'm from Ohio. I grew up listening to Boys in the like the NWA and all this. <laughs> first show in Los Angeles. All of my vice about like this is how LA is. It's gang culture. Well, whips out a gun, shoots a gun at my first show. I dove, didn't spill a drop of the wine. <laughs> and, uh, so, wow. First show in LA, a guy whipped out a gun, shot it. He didn't shoot it into the, he shot it out in front of the place, I guess. He got in a fight with someone, one of my friends that had the band that he was hitting on, their sister, and they kicked him out. He went home, got a gun, a little gutter, gutter punk kid. Kind of doing his thing, you know, on the street or whatever, and he uh, he whipped out a gun and shot it. Oh my so, god! That happened. I sold a couple of big pieces, <laughs> uh, and it allowed for me to live for another few years. And... So were you were you doing your your sculpture relief sculpture paintings at that point? Was it had you figured your thing out? They weren't relief yet, so they were more paintings with rooms in them and things like doors that you open up. Like and that, layered be... paintings with dimension, right. depth, and stuff. Okay. And that was uh, the, that, that was the first time I did that emoji, that happy face, dude. Was uh, this large? It was about a about a four foot by four foot square, and it was called Sprawl Mart Worldwide. I heard this speak. Oh yeah! Wow. Oh, and so it was this happy face with these little blue collar workers shooting themselves in the head inside the eyes of the happy face. They were sculpted inside the eyes. And uh, and then that just kind of followed me. I just, I really enjoyed using that, that happy face, which became emojis. I know. That's what I was going to say is you kind of predicted emojis oh. in a way. <laughs> it's amazing. And I just thought it was funny that, that that happy face was on the bags of these Walmart bags, but. At the time, I was feeling very political about things. Right. Once we're moving into small towns and moving out the shoe shiners and the, the electricians, you know, just moving into small towns and buying out all the old maid jobs for this big. Yep. Yeah. That, that, that was a that was the first one of the first pieces I sold out here it was a very large one of that. And, wow. Uh, it's amazing. Crazy. Wow. So, yeah, so then I kind of moved in and started showing up here more and uh, was the first. I'm still living in San Diego, first featured artist at Cannibal Flower. Okay, wait, 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 wait. What about living in San Diego? So I was uh, living in that garage in San Diego, working in my buddy's garage uh, on my art. I thought you were living in West Hollywood. Uh, no, I would come up and crash on uh, my friend's couch. Okay. So you're... Kind of found this whole Melrose scene. So okay. I was okay, yeah. okay, I get it. I get it. So I was living down there. I tried to leave. I was going to have to go back to Columbus, and then I got a job down there working at an autistic school. So I kind of just – I tried to leave or whatever because I, I just wanted to be able to make my stuff. And I just I kept getting pulled back in. Hmm. And then uh, I just I ended up up here. I, I decided to go to try to learn some 3D animation at Santa Monica, and uh, my buddies let me live in the loading dock. And we'd help put on the art shows, and then I kind of evolved into the hive hanger thing. 
Okay, so how did the hive happen? So the hive happened. How does one? That was 2005. How does one get a gallery like that? That's pretty amazing, really. Uh, well, um, so I was, uh, the hangar was having some problems. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things kind of going down there. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so you're having some issues. And uh, I was on my way out. And uh, I put on a big Mac show on the roof of a building for the grand opening of the downtown Art Walk. Okay. You were you were in that show. That, is that maybe. the show that was in the the build in the different rooms in the building, and then my exactly. my sculpture got left in there? <laughs> oh my god! Soft spot. Well, Someone I could have just you had all the paintings. I took I everything know. except the sculpture, I think. And I, I, for some reason, I thought someone took this sculpture because it was like, you know, I had like a $10,000 price tag on it or something. And, and I remember maybe talking to LC or someone and, and them saying, oh yeah, it's still in that, it's still in that building. And I was like, oh "Oh, shit. So I just like took off, drove straight down there and I'm like, go to the building and it's like empty. Everybody's gone. And then my sculpture just sitting there in this empty building. And I was like, oh, thank God. Anyway, on the roof of the parking lot. Wasn't I don't remember it, your sculpture being in that show? It may because you had a wall of paintings, and the Luke Chu was right next to you. Yeah, but uh, it was wasn't it? Was it, a, a it was like off and head. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was a bunch of different. Like it was a brick building. I remember. I thought, and it was a bunch of different rooms, wasn't it? And you kind of walked through this building with different rooms. I might be confusing it with another one. Maybe. Yeah, they were all they were all a little mushy at that point. Okay, anyway, maybe it maybe that did or did not happen, but anyway, it happened at some point. Dude, that's that's. <laughs> like, I can't imagine me like there's no way. Yeah, that, that. it doesn't say it doesn't seem like something you would do, but but I think it it, it was probably a cannibal flower thing. Now that I think about it, you know, because their cannibal flowers was like. You know, they would do the one night shows, and that was around the time where Hanger, if they weren't doing it at the Hanger, because the Hanger was kind of trying right. to basically get back up to like fire. You know, we had to do like a whole re demo on the whole space and have it throwed out and stuff. Right, right. At, at that time, Candle or uh, Candle Flower probably wasn't happening at the Hanger at that point. And uh, so, yeah, I did this uh, Max up there, um, and yeah, it was like it was uh, on the roof of the parking lot next to where I live now. I look at the place all the time. Oh, wow. And it had a lot of kind of manufactured ceiling wall. It was an ugly little place. Right. Kind of like the offices for the parking lot below. How did now how did you get start? I mean, how did you even get to organize That's wild, man. So so basically I'm it's all hitting me right now. So uh I'd already been we'd been putting on big shows, you know, and and, and there wasn't a lot happening in LA. There there was Cannibal Flower and the Max and I mean I don't know much definitely not much going on downtown there was a guy named Fittipaldi that had an underground spot that I actually only went to one time way after the fact of all this other stuff mm-hmm. um, there wasn't a lot if it was happening it was super underground right uh, so I was kind of known for putting on shows and I guess some actor or something for the grand opening of the art walk uh, they wanted to have art in all these spaces all over downtown to kind of get it launched and some dude liked on the space which had been donated for the art walk which is the top level of this parking complex it was the top level mm-hmm. and 
than an actual little tiny building. Um, and uh, so I said, I'll do it. And I just went went at it hard, Mac <laughs> style. I mean, we had bands. We had Atari twenty six hundred projected on the side of the building. Amazing. Um, had a uh, not Mortal Kombat. I can't think right now. Uh, one of those fighting games. We had old school fighting games, and and one of the rooms because I brought like my I Complex guys, all the crazy glitchy electronic dudes. Brought um, brought some some games and stuff. And, and one of the rooms. And then all these little rooms had different people. So we had LC was in one. Um, you were kind of in the main gallery. You and Luke Chu had a had like kind of walls. Muffinhead, Orion, Vermar. Uh, I had a room. Travis Morley. Oh yeah, Travis Morley. Yeah. What a trip! I've, I haven't heard so many of these names in so long. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Muffinhead. Yeah, Muffinhead. I was just thinking about that guy the other day. He's a, he's a performance sensation in New York. Right. He's kind of like Camel Bar, I guess, out there. I oh, really? He puts on one-night shows and stuff, like fashion. And... Yeah, he dresses all insane. Uh, yeah. That dude was, was truly unique. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that was the, you know, a big show I put on. And then Bert Green, who was really kind of pioneering the art walk said hey nathan there's a space opening up who is this uh this guy named burt green oh burt green oh, used Bert. to have a gallery across the street from Luz de jesus yeah he's a big name uh, kind of right isn't he kind of a big name big... in the art world like, uh, in the le... he has a gallery yeah in the legit art world kind of <laughs> yeah yeah he's a legit art world guy <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> for real quote unquote yeah <laughs> Is, uh, he's in Chicago now. He's got a gallery. Oh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, he said the space was opening up. And there was this girl, Mila, and Angelina had a gallery there. They were having trouble kind of holding it down. I joined up with Mila to start out and uh, just kind of they basically built the model from the ground up. And uh, she had a child within that first year and kind of moved out of the scene. Um, and uh, But, yeah, we had already kind of had it hitting hardcore right in that first year um just bringing all of us in to the gallery downtown and having the studios and, and i was roughing it um yep i was still living pretty crazy style for quite a few years <laughs> yes i know <laughs> uh, loving it though you know yeah I mean, oh yeah yeah i'm was down like... to do it now man i'm down to do it i mean i do what i gotta do to make art so so that's uh that's how the hive was created. It was natural. Right, Everything's right. natural for me. I mean, I'm, I think I'm very Taoist. To kind of go with the flow and try to be intuitive. Mm-hmm. All things change. Well, and, uh, well, not only that is you you put yourself in the center. You, you know, you you searched, you found where you want to be, and you put yourself in the middle of it, and then you were willing to take opportunities that came your way. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, you were willing to do the work. You're willing to do whatever it took to make it happen. You were like, "Fuck it, I'll do it," you know, and just dive, dive right in. And this is how, this is how success happens, you know. I think. Well, you know, you don't have a choice if you really want to do it. You know, if you want to be creative, you gotta, you gotta put on your armor and yeah, hurt him. <laughs> Oh, man. And don't complain. Exactly. That's like the worst. That's like 
the biggest downfall. <laughs> well, you can, you can complain. Try to, keep your, try to keep your vices at a minimum if possible because those will devour you. Right. And stop complaining and just do shit. Keep your, save, your, save, your, save your complaining for all your art friends who and you, <laughs> you guys could go. You go have lunch with your artist friends and you complain to them, but... But don't be a pain in the ass to everybody else, you know, around you. Be be easy to work with. You know, you've always been super positive. Never, never seen you wig out. Never seen you be an asshole. Always just been very positive and upbeat. And, you know, I think it's gotten you pretty far. <laughs> you oh. know, it's pretty amazing. You're lucky. I'm unlucky. Yeah, but again, you're you know there, there's maybe a certain amount of that, but there's also like I said the the willingness to do what it takes, which you know a lot of people don't have, or you know I know I know a lot of people that just kind of want it given to them, sort of you know, and it's like you have to bust your ass and be you live in a loading dock or you know whatever it takes to make it happen you know drive down during lunch hour that's what i used to do <laughs> take oh take okay i drive i drive my paintings down to cannibal flower from burbank or glendale where the, the rick's shop was or whatever tear at my ass down down to downtown la drop my painting off and then drive back <laughs> try and do it within an hour oh my god remember Just, you showing up yeah <laughs> come on man and drop them off. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be committed. You got to do what it takes, you know? Yeah. Don't feel entitled. That's no. the weird entitled age right now where it's not going to, I mean, it's going to work in the immediate, but it's not going to pay off. In the end. You know, you got you to gotta just know that you got to work your ass off and you got to fight. Yeah. Yeah. It really is like kind of like a battle. You you always you you always had a Dungeons and Dragons approach as well. Oh like, yeah, like a sword. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in it, man. I'm actually we're working on a game. We're actually bringing I'm bringing back the Hiveland idea. I decided that making a book might not be, uh, you know, I, I don't know how feasible that is financially. It's but not. I love. It's play, not, I play yeah. Magic the Gathering. Uh huh. And uh, so we're trying to pull it back and create a game. So I'm working with some buddies. We've actually created the base of it. Oh, cool. Trading cards. The artist will be the trading card with their name. Oh, yeah. You were, you were talking about that for a while. Right, right. Yeah, that's cool. Your guide it. to the denizens of Hiveland. That was <laughs> started, that started right in the beginning, but I couldn't figure out how to make the book. And then right. How much money could I afford? And, uh, so I just kind of faded for a while, but we're trying to bring it. We're bringing it back into a game that you play. That's great. That's great. You play with the artists. You play with artists and the artist avatar. That's so cool. Amazing. I I, I remember. You're in there. You're, you're one of the characters. You're, cool. You're... <laughs> I can't wait to see what that is. <laughs> uh, I I I remember. I remember seeing, I think the biggest rats I've ever seen. Now the biggest, <laughs> the biggest rats I've ever seen, I think were in New York. I saw a rat. We were down at like at a at a wharf, and and it was like swimming in the water, and, I was, and we were like, "Is that a is that an otter?" It was so big. <laughs> it was like, "Oh shit, it's a rat." <laughs> oh man! But but the you got but a lot of food there. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I remember uh, being in the early days down at the hive across the street, just seeing these, just seeing this big ass rat run across the street. Oh, well, they died in our kitchen many times. One rotted in the uh, oven. (laughs) In the inner, somehow it literally pushed it in probably a millimeter. It's impossible how this thing crushed itself inside the inner workings of this oven thing. And basically they melt. And just the smell for weeks. (laughs) We finally got in there and got it out as it was melting. (laughs) And it was brutal, man. That happened all the time. This is horrible rat deaths. <laughs> it's gotten so much nicer down there, though. Now in downtown, I don't, I, I don't know how. Uh, you're on, you're on Spring and Seventh, right? Spring between Seventh and Eighth. Spring between Seventh and Eighth. I mean, that whole downtown area is kind of amazing. What they've done to it. I don't know amazing. how, how your area is doing. I, it's... Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I think Spring Street's a really cool street, but it has what I love about it is it still has all that old flavor. Right. Like I still, when I walk bacon, there's a bunch of rats rustling in the trash can. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Bacon down the alley. I got my buddies that are smoking the crack. <laughs> they know bacon. This one dude, when I just got back from uh, from the holidays. This guy's like, hey, hey, Bacon, come over here. Come, come over. He's like, hey, I got something for you guys. Disappears. I'm, I'm sitting with Bacon on the collar. I'm like, and I'm waiting. It's like a few minutes ago. I'm like, Bacon, are we really doing this? Are we waiting for my friend here? To, he probably went off and, you know, doing whatever he does. <laughs> comes back. Like, he comes back within the minute, and he gave us about $50 worth of pet, like, treats. Oh, how cool. Off, like, really good bones and stuff Amazing. Like and uh, so these are my friends, you know. These are the people in my neighborhood, like, you know. But for most people, it is not cool. I'm seeing people come and go real fast. They move in. They want to have that New York life, but they're not willing. Again, they feel entitled mm-hmm. to have their city life. But you got to wade through the shit, the rats, the homeless, the crazy stuff. Yeah. That's part of it. It's a right. sweet and stuff. Um, so it still has that, but it, the buildings are looking nicer. Yeah, right. taller and nicer. We'll just say that. Yeah, the architecture down there is just amazing. It's, I I just love those old buildings. They're, they're so so cool. It's so so uh, downtown LA is a trip, man. It's so different from uh, anywhere. I mean, anywhere else in LA, really. But um, yeah, what <laughs> you lived in the Hive for a while, right? Uh, I may have. You may you. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. You you didn't live in the high. You may have lived in the hive. <laughs> at one, I, there's a rumor. I there's mean, a rumor. Like a legend. A a legend. legend of the sleepy ghost of you, the hive. But you you are uh, definitely in a in a different living space right now. Correct. Yeah, I am. I am. But I'm just right a block up the street. Yeah. I, I I've kind of. So I. It looks really survived. nice. It looks for a while, awesome. and then I uh, I moved up in the lofts up above the hive for many years, right? Uh, and moved out of that, and I just live a block up the street still. It oh, looks still. it looks really cool. If you if you're a Patreon subscriber, you will get to see Nathan's really cool living area, or at least part of it. Yes, part of it. I've uh, always see my moving collection there. Yeah. <laughs> 
bit of art. It's, there's a Chet Zar up in the corner up there, yeah. and Amanda Sage portrait right next to it. Yeah, you got a pretty good collection, man. So, okay, what? Well, give me a few, or just at least one or two, crazy LA stories, like crazy things that you've seen. Because I, oh, I one, yeah. one's great. I, this is a great one of just the old school LA. So my buddy Orion and I, this is when I, we were just starting in the Hive, and they were always trying to do promo things to get people to come downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and I was a gallerist, so of course, you know, I get cool perks or whatever. So there was this, I don't know if you've ever been to the Los Angeles Theater, but it is insane. And it's no. closed, and they only do shows here and there. Um, I did go see a really, really great uh, kind of industrial show there that they, it's like a, what do they call it? Not bar sinister, but some something where there's a bunch of different bands hmm. and health played there that I love much other stuff. Anyways, it, it's an epic theater with these huge sculpted people and little sculptures coming out of their head and a huge inspiration for this high plan installation I've been doing in my gallery. Um, and uh, at the LA Theater, there was this choose your own adventure theater experience where you went and we went and um, go into the theater and it's the story of this woman's life. And then Orion and I went our separate ways and you can follow different parts of the story, like a choose your own adventure, which right. I loved adventure books as a kid. Um, and, uh, I went into the kitchen. I went on a, they actually had a part where you go to Morocco and you get in a bus and the bus takes you down the alley and they made the alley look like Morocco. Wow. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was one of the coolest things I would, and free drinks and everything. You're drinking champagne and walking around and following all these scenarios. And um, and then we all end up back in the main theater, which is the most epic theater I've ever seen, honestly. Um, with all these sculptures, I mean, it blow you. It's so up your alley. Right. I, I end up in there. This girl strips naked. And all that's like, we're all in the theater. We all end in the theater. And then there's like this whole nude thing where she just gets naked and walks down the center aisle past us all. And it's, that's their big shebang. And that's the end of the play. And okay. So Orion and I were like, dude, that was pretty crazy. You know, <laughs> we're kind of talking as we're leaving and we exit the building and there's all these nice cars pulling up to try to get these people from the West side and, and out. And walking down the center of Broadway is this big professional wrestler looking dude. He looked like Debo from High Up for Friday, the dude with the lazy eye. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Dude, there was this guy walking down the center of the street within like 100 feet from us, coming right at us, buck naked, blood pouring down his inner leg. Oh my coming, god! I don't know where the hell it was coming from. Oh god! Coming right at, comes right up to us, and uh, it was just—it was wild, man. I mean, because we just had this crazy theater experience, we leave the building, and then we're <laughs> in the real world, and there's this nude mega dude, like the dude's pecs you can see way down the street, you know, walking down the street. His feet are like boom, boom, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> pouring down his inner leg and all these people are fleeing to their cars and he comes right up to us looks at us and then slowly passes by wow uh, and, and just we kept just going like, just kept going ends up like 
further down, and then there's all these people, maybe parking attendants, trying to throw the guy blankets to cover himself up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's just like a normal, weird, wild thing. That is pretty crazy. That's uh, a, yeah, that sounds like a, like something that might happen in downtown LA in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, these are things I love. <laughs> There's a lot more quiet, and that, that, the weird, the oddness of it was there weren't a lot of people downtown at that point in time. Right, just us at this nice theater that you know they made that theater, they cleaned it up so we could be wild, you know. Right, out of it. Real reality of the downtown world. Yeah, <laughs> you get the grand finale, and then you get the grand we got reality. A double grand finale. We got a double. Grand yeah. Finale. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, I, I, I've, uh, I always wanted to, to live in a loft down there, but I was never able to make it happen. I almost did. I, I was about to rent one when I was, I don't know, seventeen or eighteen, and somehow it fell through, but. I always regretted that I couldn't have that experience, but um, now I could do it vicariously through you and your stories. <laughs> it's funny the people that like I, the Kyoto Brothers, I think, said they had a place down here, and I think Danny Elfman, like people that come in and they're like, "Yeah, I used to have a loft just down the street." And the, they're saying they had a loft in the '80s, right? Was it, it used oh, to be pretty oh, cheap in the '80s? It's crazier. Yeah, and crazier. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it was it must have been 1986 or 85 when I was going to maybe do it with like two other people. Oh, that was uh I heard it was the stereotypical like all those old movies from the 80s and 90s where you know they got the cans with the fire in them everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it was everywhere in the middle of the streets, like in the middle <laughs> of main streets dudes had like fires and cans. Do you remember that one time we were me and you were driving around and I was like take me down the scariest street in LA and you're like, "Oh yeah, I know what that is." And it was Skid it was Skid Row, I think. Yeah, we went right through in the middle of the night. Man. Oh my god, that was like we, were, we had to go it was like being in a parade. We had to go at parade speed because there were so many crackheads and stuff, you know, crazy uh it was like for a, things going on, like for an entire for an entire block. It was like all of a sudden it became Night of the Living Dead for a block, and then it, it was like you're in regular reality, and then you see it coming, and then you're in it. And there's like trash can. I, there was a trash can with fire coming out, and just people like wandering like zombies in the street. It was insane. It was we like couldn't go fast. We I, had to go slow because I, <laughs> people all over the front of the car. You know, it was so scary, man. <laughs> as soon as like we got halfway through, I was like, "That's maybe this wasn't such a good idea." I'm all locking the doors. <laughs> oh, I didn't even trigger on my. I'm just like, "Yeah, let's do it." Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. It is scary and crazy down there, but I, as a siren goes by, um, <laughs> it, it is kind of it's crazy and scary, but you know. It seems like if you if you enter those situations with like I don't know like a certain kind of confidence or a lack of fear, not a lack of fear that's dumb where you get into a dangerous situation, but if you go in there and just kind of you know have a certain presence about you, it's like you don't really get messed with. You can kind of walk through that stuff, and it's like people leave you alone generally. 
I think if, I think if you show fear or show like you're freaked out, that's when that's when uh, you know weirdos come out and take advantage or try and you know rob you or something. But oh, you, you vacuum it towards you, man. You just suck it in. I say it's like working with woodworking equipment. You know, it's super healthy to have a base level of fear. You need to be aware of what the oh yeah, like, absolutely. Where you're at. I mean, I'm always like have that base, like the animal thing is in high gear, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I don't think about that. That's more just being very aware, right. heightened awareness. So, and that's what I love about LA is the heightened awareness. I'm always heightened wherever I go right. at all times. I'm always kind of on the heightened awareness, but it's not a fear. It's like more like the base fear. It's like the animal, yeah, caveman yeah. shit. You got that going on. That way, you don't, you know, if you're cutting wood and you got that base fear, you, you remember that you're cutting wood. You don't get lazy, right, right. Cut your finger off. You know, you gotta, you gotta have that base fear. You gotta be aware of what you're doing. That's healthy. But yeah. mind fear is a whole different thing, man. People come in and they're, they're already judging. You know, you're judging people. Totally. And uh, that's the problem. They People I, sense I it, sense. you know. People sense it, too, if you're uh, – I, I just found that, you know, you can kind of intermingle with all different types of people if you just don't really have an attitude like that, an attitude of fear or judgment or you just kind of, you know, I don't know. It seems like that to me. Yeah, I recently had a couple crazy uh, <laughs> aggro situations. Okay, well, I, had a, I had a dude just going crazy. Uh, um, that it's different when they are they're already at level eleven and they're coming at you. Oh yeah, that's that's a, that's, a, that's that's one of the and, things that you you know a, a person who's aware of the surroundings would notice instantly and avoid it. You know, right. that's a totally and different I've trip. Had, I've had that happen a couple times recently. So what happened? It never happens usually, but it, but one guy trying to get into the gallery, oh, yelling God. about how he'll take his movies. There's a bunch of movies being filmed downtown on Saturday uh, during this opening. We were just getting set up. And uh, so dude is flipping out. He's slamming his hand on the glass of oh, my shit. front. And I'm like, oh, shit. All right. And I got two of my female workers in the front and I was just getting ready to leave to go get ready for the show. So I come up, I kind of block the door, but I realize I look at them and, and you know, I've learned it's like, it's like a dog. You don't want to look, look at a pissed off dog in the eyes. Right. Not exist. <laughs> You're going to get hit. I don't want to look him in the eyes cause I don't want to, I don't want to have to get in a fight right now. So. Right. I looked at the dude in the eye because I wanted him to get the hell out of there. And um, so he starts flipping out anymore. I'm trying to kind of lock the door. I'm having trouble getting it locked. So I kind of leave it. I leave him. I turn my back to him. I kind of just kind of try to dissolve the anger. Uh But he's just yelling about uh, they won't take my movie and the vagina of Ellen DeGeneres. You know, it's all kind of crazy. (laughs) Like, going nuts. This is all going off. Wow. And, uh, uh, you know, th- those are different experiences. So I, yeah. I uh, you know, um, trying to come to terms with how it's, it's hard to deal with those because. But he I didn't wanna... kill you. He didn't kill me. So he you, didn't kill me. You, he didn't damage anything. And you did have. I was able to get him out. Right. Uh, without you... touching him, without having to do anything. Oh, he was That's in. That's the thing. Like, you cannot get mad. He right. started, he actually got, so then he kind of entered into the gallery. Oh, my God. 
that's where I actually got worried because I was like, now he's in the, now he's in. Right. How do I get him out? So, you know, it's, it's kind of a magic. Yeah. I was just going to say, you got to use those situations. You got to use the force. It's one of those situations where you got to use the force. You got to just kind of like somehow when the time comes, you kind of know if you're intuitive, I think you know how to handle it. Do you yeah, do? Yeah. You do anyway, especially you know. Oh, I, you know, looking at the the ladies, you know, just I kept saying, just do not look at this dude. Just let him go through his course. Yeah, he's like having a psychotic. psychotic yeah, if he started to touch stuff, then I would have to, you know, actually, I would have to do something. Yeah, it's tricky. It's yeah, tricky. right. Yeah, a little bit of a waltz, like, because uh, it's all about that level eleven. You can see that the dude's face was all red. He's a white dude. His face was completely red. Right. Already, like already at the door. So if you just come into the gallery, if you just touched him on the arm, he probably would have wigged out, and that would have caused. He probably would have kicked your ass or or attacked you or something, and you would have had to fight him. But if you can just kind of like maintain that kind of energy. Yep. Don't look at him in the face <laughs> at all. No eye contact. Uh, that's the thing. Like you look at some of the eyes, and they they really. You know, you know, I did that one time, one one time it was weird, man. It was, it was, uh, in this, it was during my weird spiritual awakening period of 1987. I was driving my Corvair, this cool old Corvair I had me and Lisa were driving and we got lost. It was weird, man. It was just like a total weird vibe day. Like you could tell something was going on. There was like the air was, you just feel it. And we're, it's getting to be dusk. We're in this part of, it was like maybe Silver Lake and Silver Lake-ish area, which was, you know, in 87 was pretty bad. At least this, this part was, I think. And uh, we're driving. We don't know where we are. This is the days before GPS and cell phones and all that stuff. And the car runs out of gas <laughs> and it's just oh, getting to be yeah. dusk. And it's like, you know, it's a kind of a scary part of town. And I get out of the car and we're starting to, we have to go, call someone at a pay phone or something and we don't know where the hell we are and i just there's a guy standing there with like sunglasses on kind of shady looking guy and he goes he said he goes you want to buy some crack or something and i said what i didn't honestly didn't understand him and i did the thing i looked him in the eye and i said what like it was a genuine like i didn't hear what you said and he just looked at me and he goes, whack. And he like tried to hit me on the side, like slap me, I guess. It was like his open hand and I like backed up and he like kind of just barely tapped my head and then he just took off running. It was so weird. Oh. It was totally oh. weird. But it was like that moment was going to happen one way or another. I could just feel it. The whole drive we were driving, there was like this weird, this is going to, something bad is going to happen. <laughs> smell it, man. You yeah. Smell it somehow. Yeah, it was weird. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, you yeah, know, it's, it happens. It's, it's happened only a few times to me, but when it does happen, it sucks. Cause now you're in it. Yeah. Right. You're right. definitely locked and loaded. You're in it. <laughs> and how you handle the next. I'm not a fighter. I don't want to have to punch someone. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I definitely wrestle someone down. I don't want to have to use my knuckles that I paint with and sculpt with and have to punch someone. Yeah. I still don't have to do that. It's yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's not, it's uh, not fun. I, I wouldn't think it would be a fun thing, but <laughs> some people like to fight, but. Um, I, I hear that outside of my window quite a bit. 
you were asking about crazy. I, there was a crazy Malie fight that happened here right before the holidays. What's that? What's a, a what fight? Full on Malie. What? Like oh. people coming from all angles. Oh, okay. The balcony right on the corner of Fourth and Sixth and Spring. Okay. Uh, there were two guys getting ready to cross the street, and a car turned left in front of them, and the, the guys in the car must have yelled at the dudes trying to cross it. The guys trying to cross the street were big. Big dudes. Uh-huh. There was some altercation that happened. The guys in the car literally stopped their car in the middle of 6th Street. This is at like 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. And jump out. And they're smaller guys. Like, smaller, like little Armenian dudes. Like, you know. But they're pumped and they're ready. <laughs> and those dudes, those small dudes knew how to fight. And uh, so the big guys go out in the middle of the street. Little dude takes out the big guy in one punch, jumps on top of him like an MMA fighter, wow. is just destroying this big guy. Other big guy comes in, tackles him. A couple other dudes from the street jump in. <laughs> other guy comes out of the car, another small dude that could fight. And then out of nowhere, there's some kind of machete. Oh, my God. Some kind of big-ass knife. And it, it blew me away. I, it was like a shock. So you're up I'm here watching this whole thing i'm watching it from my balcony because i i you know I'm, I'm watching my horror movies that's all that's pretty much all i watch these days <laughs> laying down watching something but when you hear it you hear it so yeah. it's like i'm called to, called to view you know and uh i see this thing get picked up over by the trash department. i think they brought it out of the car maybe i don't know and there's this thing that's shiny and i was like man is he kind of like a piece of metal he got out of the trash can or something and then I realized that that is a long knife. Oh, and he's funny. And something happened, man. I saw someone get hit. I mean, not, someone got kind of hit a little bit on the on the side of their face. Oh, my God. Pops. People are going down, and then everything scatters. Once the knife was out, everything scattered. Yeah, so, uh, downtown, baby. <laughs> The cops did not even stop the car that had been stopped in the middle of the road with the dudes with the knife. They let those guys go. There's people yelling from all their balconies saying, arrest them, arrest them. I'm just sitting back like, oh, dude. <laughs> um, and I, I think in the end they probably got the guys because they were all on camera. Right. Wow. Well, that's a good one. And that was recent. Recently. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit because hey, I, I I want to get to uh, I want to talk about your artwork. Um, so yeah, for people who don't know, we'll we'll have a picture. You know, you you have to send me a picture of a, of a good represent piece that represents you for the promo card and stuff. But Nathan's work is. Uh, uh, these amazing sculptures that are, I don't, they, they've always felt like cross between a painting and a sculpture to me, like a really, you know, they're kind of like sort of in a painting format, but they have a lot of different layers and different levels to them and little doors you can open and little, all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of characters and, 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 you know, painted really nicely and really, Really cool stuff. Um, how I mean, how did you, how did you get to that? How did you end up doing that? Because it's so different. It's such a different kind of art. 
And these are all one-offs too. It's not like you're molding stuff. It's like you're, these are, they only exist as one piece. It's not like you're doing molds and casts, right? Yeah, there's no molds. There's no molds. I, uh, I mean, I'm more of a, I was a drawer that, uh, started painting and, and I had some really great professors that told me that drawing could be anything now, you know, like mm. in the modern world or whatever, it could be anything. It could be sculpture on it or things on it and stuff. So I, in college, I started, and I, I was actually a graphic design major, so I wasn't a fine art major. I, I didn't know that. But I was taking, I was a pre-vet Art education. Wow. Pretty about my freshman year, art education. Then I ended up, you know, settling with graphic design. Hmm. And in graphic design, I got to take a lot of art classes. So, um, so I started experimenting with like using mat board and cardboard and sculptural items and mixed media items. I really like the idea. I used to, when I was a kid, we'd have these little advent calendars that just. Like, yeah, I used to love those. We used to have those too. Right? They're and so then, fun. So every year I couldn't wait. It was like Hallmark would make a new one every year. You could interact <laughs> with these things. And I love that feeling. That, that's the feeling that I, I'm in love with that feeling. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like opening up a treasure chest, Dungeons and Dragons, what's inside? You know? Right. Um, so right away I was experimenting with this idea of interaction. Um, opening up doors and creating pieces that you can interact with and open up and look inside. Um, I hadn't even thought about sculpting. I was using junk and all kinds of stuff and, and, uh, and really mixed media, hmm. mixed media uh, painting. Right. Um, when I was uh, in this AmeriCorps thing years ago, I was when I was 24, uh, I, we had to take little classes. A woman taught bead making with Sculpey. And, uh, hmm. like, yeah, oh, yeah. Beads out of the stuff. And you, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that class. I remember that I don't want to make beads. I want to try to sculpt it. Right. Stuff. So sat down with her, and I right away started sculpting these little people, and instantly fell in love with it. And um, I wasn't even painting them at the time. I was just using the pure color and sculpting figures. Oh wow! So fell in love with the sculpture. Um, but I've I've been drawing ever since I was tiny. I mean, you know, on graph paper. Art kid. Um, Art kid in school. White Mike Doherty, Mike Doherty and I were drawing ever since we were kids. He just did the new Godzilla movie. That's his new movie. It's what? funny that night. What did, uh, Mike, what did Mike he do? Doherty, uh, he, ju- he did the movie Trick or Treat. That's one of his movies. And his latest movie is Godzilla King of Monsters. Wow, really? Director? Yeah, he di- well, he's directing now. He started out here writing. He went huh. to NYU. But anyways, like him and me, and there was one other artist, we would just always be drawing. But uh, usually Mike Doherty and I were like, Person, yeah, <laughs> the art kids. So we just draw and draw and up each other, you know, up each other's game, and um, so that's what I love. That that's kind of my natural talent would be to kind of create with pen and ideas and things like mm-hmm. that. And sculpture, I fell in love with, and uh, so I started sculpting inside the rooms, inside the pieces, and then I just, I, I kind of, well, bacon, you really get in here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> squeeze in there and push me out of the way oh. <laughs> uh, so uh i realized i love sculpting but i don't i don't like sculpting all the way around i just felt like it was extra material and i like telling stories i like the more narrative aspect of art mm-hmm. 
mythology. I'm into archetypes and symbolism and things like that. And it was a lot harder for me if I was going to sculpt a thing. I couldn't talk like that. I would have to sculpt a thing. Right. Uh, so I started sculpting flatter and flatter onto these larger canvases. Hmm. And um, just, uh, again, natural process on how that happened. Um, just uh, figured out a way to use Super Sculpey and Magic Sculpt and wood a leaf. And uh, it's kind of a natural thing that happened. Wow. Well, when do you think that, at what point in your career did that, did you, like we talked about my thing with the, the portraits came around, you know, you know, 2005, a few years after I'd been messing around. How long did it take you to kind of come up with this thing? Cause you've been doing it like you, as long as I've known you, you've had your thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about, like, because I'm thinking about Monica and Brian. They bought this, uh, I had this collie snake kind of eating this rabbit. Mm-hmm. And stuffing in the rabbit was pouring out. I don't yeah, remember I remember that, of course. How could I forget the that one? holding the document about how to sell art, you know, big-eyed uh-huh. you know, <laughs> animals that are sat, whatever. Yeah, and, like, a whole list of ways to, and then this collie, this wrathful deity had So that was still 3D, but that was a piece that could hang on the wall. Right. Then I think uh, it's just—it's strange how that works. I, I might have done a piece. Uh, I, did, I think I did another rabbit piece using like these lids of like kills, and then that became a frame. And I didn't have to sculpt the back of the rabbit, so I kind of just kind of become flatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just just got more and more flat, more and more flat, but sculpted. Right. Uh, so that was probably. In like 2007, eight maybe when it got got flat, and then it's really that's really become the whole thing is try to get a sculpture as possible with the least amount of depth. Right. Um, figure out how to put in the lights, you know, and stuff like that. With LED lights, it's a lot easier. Back in the day, I used to have to use a bulb. Oh so yeah, I bet you you're so. Ha- I bet you're so happy now with all the easy led stuff you can get on amazon there's so much cool stuff you can get now like those strips of lighting and it's a piece Amazing. of cake yeah yeah it's it's uh so good and it, and it allows me to still be sculptural but um but uh can't have it be flat to the wall it just seemed easier to sell stuff flatter to the exactly wall yeah just the fact that you can hang it that's such a that's a a, a huge um advantage to most sculptors because you know sculpt sculpture is hard to sell and, and I think part of it is because, you know, it takes up space. It, it's, you know. They don't know where to put it in their house. They don't know, you know, what do you have, a sculpture standing around? Right, house? I mean, exactly. Special kind of house to have sculpture. you got to have a, a big house. you right. know, a lot of room to be able to have things that you can move around. Um, so, uh, I mean, I didn't, it, and it wasn't about sales. It was just really about me being able to do the kind of pieces I wanted to do and tell the kind of stories right. I wanted. right. To be able to be more flat, I could get more tripped out with what I wanted to say, I guess, and uh, and, and kind of really delve in. And, and and it became quicker, you know, having right. to sculpt all the way around the back, yeah, <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And, I, and no one looks at the back that much, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, unless you're like Akihita or like Kazu or something like that, where, right? Yeah, you know, they, they have stuff on the back that's epic, so you got to walk around the whole piece, but, right? Yeah, I just kind of was a gradual progression again, but, uh, made sense. 
Yeah. Sorry, he's snoring. That's not. That's not my. I don't know if you can pick up him snoring. Let me see. Wow. Don't, don't say anything. Let me listen. Hear that? Ah, I got the first one. I got one snore in. That that. There you go. Yeah. That used to be a feature of on the podcast when Doc Doc was alive because you know Doc died not that long ago, a few months ago. But he would he would come in and he, you'd hear him snoring all the time. <laughs> Probably has a much louder snore than Bacon. <laughs> I don't know, man. The the pities are the 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 bullies are <coughs> they they all seem to to snore pretty loudly. It's, uh, it's, the, well, Bacon has the lips, so when he exhales, he does the very human, the, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> a so it actually sounds like a human story. <laughs> See, I, yeah. I think that, I think these kinds of dogs are, you know, they're the best for many different reasons, but one great benefit to having a, a pit bull or a bully breed is that they're super sweet, super loyal very strong, so if anyone was to attack you, they would tear their face off, you know, because they will defend their owners for sure. But generally, they are the sweetest dogs, but people are afraid of them. So when you go and walk your your pit bull, people leave you alone. So it's like it's like a, it's like you avoid the whole confrontation in the first place because no one wants to fuck with a pit bull. Yeah, I say it's like the old woman, young woman drawing, that psychological drawing. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like people like me, when I saw Bacon, I saw the beautiful young woman. You know, I, I saw this cute, like I was like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> but then a lot of the thugs, tough dudes will like see this really mean looking dog. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, like, dude, that's a cool dog, but I don't want to go near it. Yeah. You know, like, they want, can I pet him? And then, then they... Double take to me that well, I'm not gonna pet him. Right. But that's a cool dog. You know. <laughs> he has like I have no idea. His head is like a box. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. He yeah. literally it's like a it's like a block. It's like a, a square. It's amazing. I love that. I love his that. head and his neck is bigger than mine. Yeah. <laughs> All the muscle. Half of the fifty pounds I think are in his head and his neck. It's yeah. <laughs> baby, baby girl got up to I think the last time we weighed her she was seventy pounds or something. So we had to put her on a diet. So she's like she's trim now. She's she's getting back to her fighting weight. Uh not fighting weight, but you know what I mean. But um she still weighs a ton. But anyway, that beside the point. Um so okay, here's here's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Um how you seem to handle the 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 dual position of being an artist and being a curator and a gallery owner. You handle it very well, but I don't think everyone could handle that so well. I mean, it seems like, you know, artists are generally very, you know, all about their own work and being a, a gallerist is all about other people's work. <clears throat> and like promoting other people's artwork. So I don't know. Did you find that difficult or did, did you find like you were, you know, budding were those two parts of yourself kind of like 
in conflict at all? Because I, I wonder about that because it's like, you know, you want to promote yourself, but you want to promote your gallery and your other artists. And, you know, right. you know what I'm saying? Well, uh, it's got to be hard so if one's overshadowing the other is like, I guess what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, the cool part about my job is that I don't need, a, I like to, so there's plenty of galleries in LA. There's plenty of opportunities for people to show. Mm -hmm. And I don't show artists necessarily because they're going to sell. I show artists because I love the work and I want to work with the person. Mm -hmm. So, because there's plenty of other places for someone with attitude and ego to go show and sell their work for $10,000. Right. I would rather work with someone because I'm not in a situation where I just need to sell just to survive. Um, cause it's not just a gallery. I got the, I got a bigger network. Right. That must, that must give you a lot of freedom. The fact that you're, I'm sure freedom to not have to deal with bullshit. Yeah. Cause you're, you're paying the rent from the, the sub rental studios spaces as well as the opening and right. the, the art. So I get a lot of different things. That's not like, I'm not, I'm not going to starve if I don't show this big name artist. That's right. I don't, I'm, I don't even want to deal with it because I'm, I'm more <laughs> interested in the art community aspect. Yeah. 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 That, that's one thing about the hive. The hive is very, uh, very much about community. It seems like more than, you know, more than most galleries, I think. Yeah. Because as an artist, I need to have some kind of nest and nurturing environment. And so does everyone else. So I'm trying to provide a nurturing environment for people um, because it's a special life to say, I'm going to do art. I could do a lot of different shit and all, all these artists, you know, I mean, they're following it one way or the other. So by giving a nurturing environment, it just, I think it helps everyone. Um, oh yeah. It's and I don't have to deal with the bullshit. So, that that's not even in the equation, because if someone's a weenie, I'm not going to deal with them. I mean, I showed them, right. and I have to show them again. You know, it's like <laughs> there's no point, right? Um, unless they made me so much money that I'm like, oh, <laughs> ah, Mr. Smithers. No, well, I'm I'm more thinking about. I mean, yeah, definitely, you're 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 serving. I don't deal with the egos. I right. don't deal with the egos. My ego. I don't, I mean, I try to be as humble as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a great position because I have some level of skill. I mean, there's a lot of probably gallery owners that are artists, but maybe they don't, you know, they're artists, but are they really, you know, right. I mean, I've been doing this ever since I was a kid, like tiny, like the smallest, like my family knows, like ever since I was a kid, graph paper with the little lines. And the, yeah. <laughs> uh, the dot matrix printer paper we'd be drawing on. You know? Yeah. Literally who I am for real. Like we popped out this way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, if I was a gallery owner and not an artist, then it's really easy for artists who are, you know, very idealized generally. They're going to say, oh, that guy's a dick. He's such a businessman. He's such an asshole, you know, blah, blah, blah. But most artists are at least going to be able, they know that I'm an artist and I have some level of skill. So, it's not like, it just, it just gives me a little bit of protection because, I'm an artist and a business. Fan. Right, right. So, yeah. That and makes... again, they can't point a finger that I can't be, what do you call it? Uh, vision hold. <laughs> I can't be put into that uh, category of just being like a greedy business. Right, right. 
because I'm an artist and they know it. So it's like I I have to deal with the same thing that they deal with. Right. It makes me sensitive to it. And if they feel like I'm not being sensitive to it, then still I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. so it, helps, it helps a lot. Yeah, I, that's that's another thing that that I've I've always noticed with you is that you you uh, you, you and and I know you know this. So many artists are hung up about um, money and how selling out and you know all this stuff. I think is kind of bullshit, really personally, because I you know I, I've I think I think artists should strive to make as much money as possible that doesn't mean sell you out you sell out your ideals but you should as an artist you want you want to make money because you know so you can create whatever you want and beautify the world and make the world a better place with your artwork and help people create your own world yeah create your own world man and you have money has to be in the occasion yeah yeah and and you you've never you've never been one of those people you've always been like practical when it comes to money and um uh when it comes to art sales you know you know how it is it's like you just want you know when you when someone's interested in a piece and you like you, you have to sell it to them kind of and you you might give them a deal and just all this business stuff that so many artists shy away from but um you've always had a good balance with that like you it never seemed like you never seemed hung up on that and i noticed it because i i've i'm not hung up on it either like i'm not i'm not like money's bad money's evil you shouldn't make money with your art it's beyond that and all that sort of thing and i and i and i feel like you know that's how that's why i noticed it i've always noticed that about you is that you you have that healthy balance of artist and entrepreneurship i guess is the word maybe um so i don't really know what question i was asking but i just was saying it that just kicks in when you're doing it you know because like it's so funny i remember being in school and being idealistic and yeah, being, yeah. Like, i went my school is a big business school i went to miami university of ohio and there's like a really great business school there and then the artists were in their own little tiny little area right. and i like fuck businessmen <laughs> you know like, i was so idealistic yeah. but the fact of the matter is is the I mean, every person at the Hive, or just showing in an art show, period, you know, all these things are just a huge value. I mean, just it's just advertising in general, having your art up in a gallery, on yep. a wall, next to other people that are artists. That's advertising. Right. I mean, you know, you pay thousands of dollars to advertise in a magazine. These yep. artists are getting advertised for free, you know, in yeah. a way. And all these things are really important. So whether they know it or not, they are participating in a value system. Uh, well, beyond everything, okay. everything everybody does is <laughs> you're you're in the system. This is the system we got. You either work work with it or you and don't. You either work for yourself, right? Your own system, or you work for someone else's system. And I I do tell artists though. I I just told someone the other night. So take it easy. Don't go crazy. Don't quit your job. Work a job that's just creative enough that it just wets your palate so you can go home and make shit. I worked right. at Michael's Arts and Crafts for like six years. I was a framer. I was around the art materials. I would frame shitty Thomas Kincaid prints, but I would get to look at color and think about frames. And I would get cool stuff. I would get frames and all kinds of cool stuff that I could go home and use. And I would go home and hit it hard because I'd be ready to make it. Don't work for Disney. Don't work for something that's going to suck it out of you. Right, exactly. Hey, 
work a job that can just give you enough so you can maybe get some benefits. Yeah. That you pay the base bills and then make shit like crazy, man. Be a be a ruthless gangster. <laughs> go crazy. Make it like crazy and get in it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that's good advice. It's funny, and we, uh, you, it's so, it's weird because I, I said this to the last guest also, is that the last few guests, um, this has come up just randomly about have artists having a day job. It's like a theme. Every, I, I swear, like big chunks of the show end up being theme. They, there's always a running theme somehow, like magically. But that that's been uh, what's been coming up lately is is um, you know the 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 idea of artists having it's okay to have a day job, it's okay to have like a a, a small job that brings in just enough to to allow you to keep creating your work and not yeah, just have, do what you have to do to be able to make the work that you want to make. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, and it's fine, and things happen naturally. And the pro- a lot of artists don't even know what they're doing yet. You know, I mean, this is a long process. I mean, with you, you'd already been doing this shit for decades. You know, I mean, at 35, 37, 38, whenever it clicked, that's a lot of, like, mastery. You're already a master in one aspect. It takes a long time. And and you're still evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always. Mean, it goes on. That's what's yeah. so cool about it is, like, Something's working. You find something that works, and you kind of grew with that, and it, and you just keep being open, getting better, finding yourself. And um, so, don't just quit everything right now just because you just decided that you're an artist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're all artists. We've all been doing it for a long time. Put yourself in a situation where you can go crazy as crazy as possible and be able to do whatever the fuck you want. Right. And, Everything happens in the right time, and, and and that's where you find your voice. I mean, the hardest, but everyone's got skill in the scene. How do you find your voice? The voice—that's the hard part. Yeah, so that takes time. And that's the thing that you—that's that can't be taught either. That's the, that's it like be rushed, and it can't be taught. Yeah, yeah. Happen. It just takes time. Time is the time, and and creating work is the only thing that is going to you know allow you to find your voice. And um, there's no cheating it or faking it or no shortcuts to that. Some people happen to happen upon their voice. Some people luck out and get it right away, find it right away. But most people, it takes years, you know, years, literally years. And, um, you know, so, you you know, people need to know that going into it. Um, I But the, the one thing I, I, I wanted to just I want to get back to one thing and then I want to ask you one more question because because it's getting to near the end of the podcast. But so how how do you how do you balance how do you feel about balancing your work versus the gallery? Like, do you prioritize one over the other or are you able to kind of like because that seems difficult to me? Like, I know. I, I, I'm, I've got my, you know, I've got this podcast, which is kind of separate from my artwork. And then I've got my art and I know I have trouble, you know, or I don't have trouble. I just know that it's not easy to do two different things like that, you know? Yeah. I think it really is a time management and that is kind of a nerdy thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm really being nerdy about my time and 
knowing when to say when with the business is really important. Yeah, because you could do that so, every hour of every day. The you know the, th- yeah, the business, business part. Thanks. So I've been really. I, I had my first feature in a while at BG last uh, October to November, and that took me two years to do that. I mean, I because it was supposed to be two years ago, and I was just starting, and then. Some of the pieces I made were selling, and I'm like, holy shit, I mean, how am I going to make enough pieces to do a show? So um, I, I that helped me a lot, uh, putting yourself into shows and things like that, putting yourself in uncomfortable, having to drive to the middle of downtown in the middle of the you know, night to pick up. <laughs> putting myself in uncomfortable positions or accepting a featured show definitely taught me a lot. So right. Um, right. I've really been turning off my days that I have off. at The, so the Hive's open Wednesday through Saturday. Um, and then I turn, I'm really trying to turn off my phone, put it on airplane mode, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, especially when I'm in deep, deep creation mode. Right. Um, you lose, I lose two months a year. I lost December because I go away for the holidays and you know, my first two weeks of every month are all business. Then I get the last half of the month to make art and do the things I want to do. That's basic. So I know that every month I have two weeks of work that I can work. Hmm. And, and it also has to be after gallery hours. So just nerding it out, knowing when I can turn off, knowing that there's always an artist forgetting the work or something or other. And I'm always getting calls at weird hours any day or night of the week. Yeah. I, uh, I, dude, they know the rules. They've read the shit. They read the contract. They know. I'm just not going to answer it. Like I, I stopped answering. I stopped being so nice. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. I just stopped being nice because this is a. It goes on and on forever. Right. And, yeah. Um, so just being hard, a little bit harder, about stuff, and being really solid about my time. Right. Uh, these are the times I have to do shit. That's cool. Yeah, that makes sense. It's more of a time. It's, it. it's just super being strict about how I section out my time. Yeah, discipline. Yeah. Okay, that's a good. That's good. That's a, that's a, that's a good explanation. Um, all right. Finally, what do you think about uh, this? is This is a constant uh, topic of discussion on the podcast and just in general in the art world with the um, uh, popularity of social media. How gallery? How galleries have been suffering because of that? because of social media and artists selling directly to, to buyers and not going through galleries. Um, I, I, I'm, I've always been, you know, you know me, I, I sell direct and I sell my prints. I have all these, you know, I'm doing what I have to do to make ends meet. And, but I also sell through galleries. I do gallery shows because I think it's, um, it's important. Like that 50% or whatever you give up is is worth it because showing in public is worth it because it's part, it's part of the deal allows people to um, experience the artwork in person, which that's something that the internet does not offer. Um, You know, seeing it. Yeah. This is, these are actual items that have texture. Right. I literally just had these, I have had several conversations in the last two days about this. Um, One being, like now she is a girl from Japan that I kind of got started out here and she paints in sand and you see her works and they look really simple, really cute. It's called kawaii, you know, very cute. Um, she's, she's painting these things with sand. Right. 
look at it on your phone, you see the little two inch by two inch, you know, image, and it's really nice and cute. But but the the next level of appreciation happens when you see the piece in person. So so that is super important. The uh, gallery experience. I mean, with what I make, the three D pieces, you cannot. No, you have to see it in person. I didn't think it's a neat image, but you really have to experience these things. So yeah. That's just this the service that definitely galleries are providing. That's pretty awesome. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I literally just had a, um, I had an email of a guy wanting to buy something um, and hit him up. And he's like, oh, I've already contacted the artist. And uh, so I contacted the artist, <laughs> talked to the artist. And she's like, and, and so I had to explain to her how the, everything, and she she understood, and and, she, and we resolved all this. But we, I talked to her for several hours about how this all works. So we're in a really special time where artists can be their own person, mm-hmm. and I I really believe in um, self promotion and selling, and you know people are doing the Etsy and all that stuff, and selling right. off. And that's awesome. Um, I've, I've thought about it as a gallery, everything in the hive is playful, um, keeping things understandable, not trying to be uh, crazy about my rules. I don't sign people into contracts where they can't show for six months, three months before. Right, right. I, I want people to be free, That's but I thing. also want to explain to them maybe in more of like hive or honey type concepts that if they showed a piece at the gallery and they get hit up in any way, shape, or form. You know, give me some tips on, like, where did you see the work first? You know, like, ask the buyer. I mean, the buyer might not even tell you that right. it's all on the website or whatever, but it's literally just happened within the last week three different times with three different artists. Wow. One was, like, an instant sale. One I haven't heard back from. One we really talked it through and really had a great conversation and, and, and an understanding conversation where, where she was like, I, I want to give the gallery the Right. So, um, uh, I think it's just a reality. It's a reality. It's and it's it's hard. If you were a gallery, just hope that the artists love showing with you, and and like understanding that your relationship with the artist is very important, and uh, and being and just if. There's a way that you can put it in your lingo or in your contracts or whatever without being too hard, heavy handed and too, yeah. you know, it's like, I just, just, just as we're sort of respecting, like you and I, have always, we have always respected each other and understand because I've, I've sold your work and yeah, yeah. show mine. And you know, we've, we've worked with each other and you've always been that way from the very beginning from Campbell Car and beyond. Like yeah, there was already a respect for the gallery. But but I, I don't I think with this new weird entitled world that we're in, I don't know if people understand. <laughs> they don't understand how it works. They, there's no way to understand. So I'm going to try to be playful and explain how the gallery system works and how and why 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 am I showing in other galleries? Why am I showing and doing whole feature shows when I could sell my stuff for a full 100? percent There's right. a value in showing with other galleries. Right. It's important. Because they take me to art fairs, they show me, they they show me the new people. And right. It's important um, being out there and not just being in your own soul. Definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I answered the question, but I, I no. think I'm just because I'm in it, I'm really deep in it. And I literally have just had that conversation. Yeah. No. No. I I think you know, um, 
people don't one thing a lot of artists don't realize how hard it is to run a gallery it's fucking hard it's hard it's hard to sell art it's hard to run a gallery it's hard to make money running a gallery um it's a lot of work it's you know it's like you know it's like as hard as being an artist maybe just you know, it's it's different, a different kind of hard. <laughs> and I mean, we're selling we're selling accessory items, you know. In the end, I right. mean, people don't necessarily need art. I mean, I think that we need art in general, right? Right. But they're known as luxury items or whatever. Everyone else, has, you know, but it, it still is an accessory item. I mean, that's going to be the last thing people buy. Right. You, know, you need freaking dishwasher, or whatever, whatever the hell you need at your house. Yeah. That's how people think when they have families and they. You know, so this is the last item that people are selling. We're selling, we're selling love. You know, I mean, we're selling like love affairs. <laughs> you know, because people buy because they they need it. Right. They need it. They they need that. And, um, yeah. Uh, I but I believe that art is like I think it is the ultimate endeavor because. I think that we have been doing this gig, this life gig, the human race has been on this kick. We all have kids. We all, have, you know, we all do the same cycles. Everyone does the same thing. They're kind of in these simplified lives and then you die. Mm. And we need dance. We need music. We need movies, theater, art. You know, the art is what gives us hope. If you're not feeling religion. You got to feel you need something outside, something bigger than the same. Right. The office every day. Art is the spark. It's the unknown. It's a secret. It's it's the magic. Where does it come from? You know, and, yeah. and that people can actually take a, that journey and support. Go out and buy. And at least, at least go look at shows. Right. Yeah, I don't think there's. I'm. That's the thing with uh, galleries is I, I don't think there's. Uh, there is no. There's nothing to compare it to a, a gallery show. I mean, not not in the art world. You yeah. know, it, it's it, so so. Uh, it, you know, there's the the aspect of community as well is really important, and um, hanging out. I mean that that's the only social time I have is going to shows pretty much, you know, uh, for the most part, other than Zello once in a while when we, when we have Zello. Uh, well, it's different than a museum. I mean, an art show is actually happening. Right. Live. It's an actual life form that you're going in and taking it. Different than a museum, it's kind of more like a fossil. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I guess I wasn't even really thinking about museums because it's so out of, it's so outside of our world. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Hopefully not forever, but it is, it's more like, you know, it's like a live venue seeing a band or something. Um, anyway, I, I just think galleries should be supported. You know, if you care about art, then you got to support your gallery in your local community too. It's like a local community thing. We just had Jeremy Hush on the show and he, he runs this um, place called the Convent Philly. It's like an old convent they turned into a an art gallery and it's doing really well. And it's, it's like totally what you're doing with this little building, a little community or what you, what you've done in your, in your world. I'm on a piece at arch enemy in Philly, uh, at the, uh, end of the, or in March. Oh, right. Yep. 
Yeah, Philly's kind of happening, especially for the dark stuff. It's funny. Who'd have thunk? But anyway, we sh- I should let you go because I'm at two hours here. I don't want to uh, wear out my welcome. But um, I appreciate you coming on, and, and you've been a great friend throughout all the years. I'm very, very glad that we became friends because you're an awesome dude. And a great right back host. at you. <laughs> Well, we got to have some Zello soon. Sounds amazing. Yes. I, I have dreams about the, the cornbread pizza. Cornmeal crust, man. I should get I should get uh, kickbacks from them. I promote it so much. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll come out. We've got the anniversary show coming up. Maybe I'll come out and... Raid my, raid my uh, closet. Raid the... Uh, yeah. My storeroom. I got new, I got some new stuff I'm working on. So, again, when is that show? It's April fourth. Okay, I could I'll, I'll definitely put something in. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you, uh, thank you, Nathan, and thank you, Bacon. Look at that face. Oh my God, he's so cute. I'm gonna take another picture. Bacon. Bacon, look at chat. Bacon. Bacon. <laughs> He's totally looking. Bacon. <laughs> He's all confused. What a what a great dog. Anyway, uh thank you for coming on, Nathan. I appreciate you taking the time. It was really Pleasure. interesting. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I've been you know, we've been talking about it forever, so I'm I'm glad we yeah, finally finally, finally. I knew it would be a good one. I knew it would be fun. Um thank you everybody for listening. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash dark art society and you can join for just a dollar a month and you get the podcast a day early, which, man, I got to get that up there because it's Tuesday at 3.55 p.m. Um, that was another thing I wanted to talk to you about. It You, should, you might want to consider doing a Hive Gallery Patreon. I'm telling you, when we have pizza, I'll tell I'll tell you about it. But but I don't see any gallery doing the, doing a Patreon yet. I told Copro you should do a you should do a Patreon, man. People want to see behind the scenes at, at a gallery. And what's and, our video stuff? Maybe we could do some of that. We've been doing a lot of video. Five o'clock news. Okay. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk. Yeah. We're gonna talk when we have Zella. Okay. So uh, that's it. Thank you everybody for listening, and uh, uh, thank you again, Nathan, for for coming on and say, hear you, Bobby. say goodbye to everybody. Bye everybody. Bye everyone.